Harcourt Valley Vineyards is now bringing their award-winning wines, ginger beer and raspberry mead to your door, offering free delivery in central Victoria and Melbourne. Their lockdown wine box special includes a combination of Riesling, Grenache Rosé, Barb Shiraz, Cab Sav and Mount Camel Shiraz. Check out their Facebook page or Instagram for details or visit harcourtvalley.com.au. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is a full-bodied sponsor of Main FM. Knocked on your door. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Crew. All aboard. Welcome to another edition of The Quiet Carriage. I hope you're doing okay out there, wherever you may be. It's a tough time if you're in Melbourne with the announcement of another six weeks of isolation. And it's another reminder for all of us, wherever we are, that we're not out of the woods yet. With the world in flux, at least we have books. And if we can't read them, then the next best thing is talking about them. And let's do that now. Later in the show, it's time for the TQC Book Club, and I'm catching up with a dear friend of mine, musician, songwriter, and Panic's frontman, Jay Laffer, about one of his favourite books, and one of mine, Post Office, by Charles Bukowski. First up, during this year of COVID, the Wheeler Centre, which is Melbourne's home of literature, have been kind enough to allow us to delve into their archives and play some of their older interviews and they really don't come much bigger than this. Neil Gaiman. He's a man who doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. Born in England, 10th of November, 1960. He's a author of short fiction, novels, comic books, graphic novels, non-fiction, audio, theatre and films. His works include the comic book series, The Sandman, and novels Stardust, American Gods, Coraline, and The Graveyard Book. And here he is in conversation at the Wheeler Centre with Clem Basto. Okay, so it's it, it's 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 rumpled British writers with unlikely hair, part two. The rehairing. Well, I'm sure you all know who this man is. Um, if we were to run through absolutely everything you've done, we might get time for two minutes of questions before the cleaners come in. But um, at this point in your career, I mean, you're a novelist, writer, screenwriter, lyricist. Is there a particular medium that you feel most at home in or are you a free-ranging hen? Um, you know, that there isn't actually anything I feel at home in, which is ever probably good. Um, Stops and thinks for a moment. Um, no, I always I, I feel like a fraud. Right. And, and, I, and I feel like a fraud in now in just lots and lots of different things. Um, I, 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 I love writing children's fiction. Mm. But I know that I'm not really a children's fiction writer. I'm just somebody who, who creeps in and writes a children's book every now and again, then runs away. Um, I... I I've just written my first 
book for really tiny kids, mm. um, like which which actually came about um, rather peculiarly when I was in China, and I, I realized talking to the Chinese that none of my books, none of my picture books were in print in mainland China. Right. They were in print in Taiwan and Hong Kong, um, but in mainland China, these, these picture books which are in print all over the world, things like uh, The Day I Swapped My Dad for Two Goldfish or The Wolves in the Walls, are not published because um, they are considered socially wrong. Right. Um, <laughs> Children do terrible things like swap their fathers for goldfish <laughs> and are not punished for them. And, and uh, you know, there, there may be a slightly dodgy point of view of, of the family as being properly sacred and stuff like that. And so I thought, right, what I have to do is write a book, a picture book, that is so cute... <laughs> that the Chinese will publish it <laughs> without realizing that it is socially dangerous. Um, so, so I have written a book called Choose Day, C-H-U apostrophe S, about a baby panda who sneezes. <laughs> and because I thought there is absolutely nothing in the world that is cuter than a baby, you know, it it's, goes up to 11 on the cuteness meter. And, uh, and so it's about a baby panda who sneezes. And terrible things happen when he sneezes. And he causes huge amounts of devastation. And then everybody puts him to bed and he's very happy. <laughs> and, and I figure that this is actually a book that I want two-year-olds all over the world to be read, but especially in China. Wonderful. And then in 25 years when the revolution comes, they'll go, was that book? It was all your fault. I actually heard you say once that, uh, you know, you, you were discussing that there are sort of, you have these pockets of people who enjoy a certain area of your work and maybe not others. And I'm sure there are people here tonight who've read absolutely everything you've written. But... At that time, you said that this, of, of everything that you've done, that the thing that you hope that people don't bypass is the writing for children. Is that still something that you feel... Well, now, what I, what I was saying, I think, was something similar to that, but not quite the same. What I was saying was... Um, you do not know what posterity is going to pick up on. Mm. And you don't know what you will be remembered for. You really don't. You create art, you throw it at a wall. Um, the most obvious example would be someone like A.A. A. Milne, who in his time was considered um, both the greatest comedic writer for adults that English had produced in short form. Mm -hmm. um, he was the superstar of Punch. He had, and he was a playwright, and an incredibly successful West End playwright. At one yeah. point, he had five plays on in the West End simultaneously, which was practically unheard of. And had you told him that 50 years later, if you wanted to do a Google search or, or a, a, an Amazon.com search for things of his that were in print, um, 
all you would find would be thousands and thousands of variations of the two books he wrote, two prose books and two poem books mm. that he wrote for children. That's what he was remembered by, um, the Winnie the Pooh stuff and, and the poems. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. Um, in truth, if you're talking about what you're going to be remembered for, just the idea that you are going to be remembered as some kind of artist or creator mm. is unlikely and glorious. And, and the truth is that A.A. A. Milne, um, if you put him side by side with the other great humorous writers and great playwrights of 1929 and stuff, we wouldn't have heard of any of them. Yeah. And he actually has made something that lasted. So I, I certainly, if in a in, um, in hundred years' time, somebody turns to somebody else and says, I just found out, you know, the guy who wrote The Day I Swapped My Dad for Two Goldfish did other stuff too. <laughs> I'd be cool with that. <laughs> Do you ever feel, though, that uh, disappointed or... Um maybe that's the wrong word, but that there are people who will perhaps read, say, Sandman or American Gods and, and maybe not experience other areas of your work just based on, I guess, what you would call genre prejudices? Um, no, I, I, I'm not because um, I started out in comics. Mm. And the great thing about starting out in comics is every single possible prejudice that can be um, leveled at, at an area of, of the arts is leveled at you. You are not in the gutter. You look up at the people in the gutter <laughs> with a sort of envious thing going, oh, what it must be like to be up there in that gutter. I want to be in that gutter one day. Um, and, and that was really how I started. Um, mm. So every time, um, I'm, I'm always thrilled when people who discover me in one place discover me in another place. Mm. Um, and I love it when people come up to me and they say, well, I, I've, I've read everything that you've done. And I say, really? And, and they say, yeah, everything. And I say, well, Sandman? They say, well, I haven't read the comics. <laughs> Does and that still go, well, happen? Yeah, it still happens. And right. You go, well, no, you should read the comics too. They say, well, I don't like comics. You go, you'll like this. Just go read it. Um, and the truth is, some of them will and some of them won't. But I, 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 would I love it if everybody who liked anything I'd done liked everything mm -hmm. I'd done? Well, of course I would, but... I don't think that's ever going to happen mm. anyway, and, um, and I never mind. I, I, it's a weird phenomena I've noticed of, of readers that they get apologetic sometimes about really liking something. Mm. And um, people come up to me at a signing and say, well, I, uh, I really like Stardust a lot. <laughs> and you go, good. That's wonderful. I like it better than anything else you've done. That's great. I, I love that people have favorites. I love that they like things that I've done. I don't ever go, 
you should only like the last thing I did best. Um, you know, the, the only people I, I, I find myself ever get, getting grumpy at are the ones who just probably would really love something but don't read it, mm. or the ones who assume um, that because they've read something I've done, everything else is exactly the same. Mm. And I know that's true of some authors. It's, it's not true of me.
That was When Getting Lost by We Were Promised Jetpacks, and now we'll return to the second part of Neil Gaiman's appearance at the Wheeler Centre. Yeah, I feel like in some ways your career has sort of been typified by a, a reluctance to cover the same ground again. Is that something that you consciously go about? Um, not repeating yourself, not reinventing things that you've touched on before? Yeah. But, but, but it comes from two different places. Um, one place was I was a young journalist. Mm. Um, and I used to interview a lot of writers as a young journalist. And one of the things that made me really sad as a... And I'm t I was 22, 23, 24. And talking to people who were household names and but they'd be household names writing one kind of thing mm. detective fiction or, or science fiction or, or thrillers or, or whatever and you'd talk to them not during the interview but normally when you go out for a meal afterwards or in the pub afterwards and they'd start talking about you know I've got this great French revolution novel that nobody published <laughs> or you know a really good novel I've, I've written about a riverboat race and the Mississippi and I, I nobody really wants it and I'm going but you're so and so and they go yeah but, but I'm well, I'm a crime writer and it's not a crime novel mm. so there was definitely even back then the idea that I did not want ever to be pigeonholed as a writer mm. who only did one thing I wanted to if I was going to be a writer I had to be allowed to do whatever the next book was. So that was part of it. Um, and I think the other part of it was Sandman. Mm. Because I had a story to tell that actually took me the best part of 10 years to tell. Yeah. And having told one story for 10 years, um, I was then very much on the, well, let's see what else I can do. And... You know, okay, I've done a Neverwhere novel. Could I do Neverwhere 2? Yes, I could. Will I one day? Maybe, I hope so. But in the meantime, I'll go and do this thing over here. Mm. Um, I'm now planning in, in January, um, very nervously, to start writing something that, that, at least when it starts out, is going to be American Gods 2. And that... Um, <laughs> I, it's not something I've actually sort of said anything about publicly, but I think right. we're so close to January now. Yeah. Um, it's pretty I, much I'm tomorrow. probably allowed to say this. Um, and a lot of that came out of doing a big reread mm. back in, in February, March of this year of... American Gods for the, the author's preferred text edition. And I went and I got the original manuscript out and I got the, uh, the copy-edited English version and the copy-edited American version I was going through. And as I was reading it, I started noticing all of the things that I'd done while I was writing it that were meant to plug into the next book. Right. Which I'd never written. <laughs> and... I started thinking, you know, I, I find the idea of writing another American Gods book kind of scary. Mm. 
And that feels like a really good reason for doing it. Normally the reason why I don't go off and do the next book is because faced with the choice between, on the one hand, doing something that I've learned how to do, I know how to do, and that people are waiting for, and on the other hand, doing something I have no idea whether I can pull off or not and that nobody wants. <laughs> I will always go for this hand. Um, in the case of American Gods 2, I, I, I'm looking at it now going, I have no idea what I'd be doing. Mm. And that makes me kind of, I know things about it. I know more about it than anybody else. Um, but I, I'd really like the idea of just sort of setting out on my own in the jungle and, and seeing what I produce. Mm. Well, you said recently, um, it was a conversation that you had with Sean Tan, actually. And uh, you said, I'll start any piece of art to find out what I think about something. I'm going to learn something I didn't know when I began. I'm going to discover how I feel and what I think about it during the process. Is that how you feel going yes, into this? Yes, I, I think that is. And I think it's why... Um, and I think that, for me, is actually the fundamental, uh, you know, the key to why I've been this peculiar butterfly-like writer, mm. um, is I very, very rarely start out going, I have something big and important to say, I am going to say it. Yeah. I start out going, I, there's something about this that intrigues me, there's something about this that obsesses me, there's something about this that I think it's important for me to try and figure out and maybe if I figure this out in fiction, I can articulate what I think. Mm. Um, I didn't start writing Coraline to tell kids that being brave doesn't mean you're not scared. Mm. Being brave means you're absolutely scared and you do the right thing anyway. But that was what I realized I was writing when I was three quarters of the way through the book. Yeah. And because I realized that was the one thing that I wished somebody had told me when I was a kid. And I thought I was a coward. Mm. And I thought I was a coward because sometimes I was scared. And I, I, would go, I wish I was brave. And, and there's that point where you go, no. Brave doesn't mean you aren't scared. That just means you're not scared. Brave is a completely different thing, and, and absolutely, being terrified is an important component of being brave. <laughs> um, and I feel that being terrified is an important component of starting something creative, too. I think it is. If I know that I can do it, I probably won't do it. I'll mm. just run it through in my head, go, yeah, I could do that. Mm. Great. <laughs> I'll write another book, whatever. Yeah. Write a TV show. Built up by design Here into the 
the future entwined is yours and mine I know this can't go on if things remain the same Drastic change is needed, it's driving me insane I'm Marie Edwards, your State Member of Parliament for Bendigo West. Castlemaine and District, including Campbell's Creek, Newstead, Malden, Tewton and Harcourt are important parts of my electorate. If you have any questions or anything you wish to discuss that concerns the State Government, I'm here to help. Please phone 5410 for an appointment. Spoken and authorised by M. Edwards, 16 Lockwood Road, Kangaroo Flat, funded from Parliamentary Budget. Marie Edwards, supporting Main FM. No agenda. Music, interviews, mostly music. Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. 
That was Ian Brown there with Nana. Now it's time for the TQC Book Club, one of my favourite segments on the show, where I catch up every month with an artist who isn't a writer and talk about a book which has inspired them. This week it's Jay Laffer, solo artist and also singer and guitarist of ARI Award winners The Panics. And we're discussing one of my favourite books and one of Jay's, Post Office by Charles Bukowski. Uh, the interview is done on my back patio. There's truck noises, there's train noises, there's a kid interruption or two, and in true Bukowski style, a couple of curse words and more than a few beers consumed. Here it is, my chat with Jay about Charles Bukowski. Jay Laffer, thank you so much for joining me on the TQC Book Club. Bit of an unusual setting, isn't it? Uh, it is, but I think considering we're discussing Bukowski on foot yeah. in the LA flatlands. Yeah. Maybe it's nice we're out on the corner amongst traffic. <laughs> on the gold field flatlands. And it's pretty cold for uh, for this time of year as well. Yes. It's probably a lot different. I think we go back a long way. And I think the first time I interviewed you was, gee, about 20 years ago, back in Perth back at the Flying Scotsman in Mount Lolly when your band Panics was starting out and uh, I think it was probably a little bit warmer than it is right now. I moment. think it's guaranteed <laughs> even though I don't remember the incident it was warmer. Well it was for the uh, student paper Harambe. I do remember. Yeah. Gee, you've I been at this for a while. I have been. I you've have tried been your luck <laughs> at everything haven't you? <laughs> I'll probably be at this for a bit longer as well but yeah I think it was an EP you had at in before your album came out and you've had a you've had another album out recently Can you tell us a little bit about that second solo album yeah um i did one seven years ago and then made a panics album in between which mm-hmm. we loved uh hole in your pocket and now now not busy with the band at all just gonna pursue the solo career full time with great vigor for as long as I can uh, keep the fire burning, which I imagine will be the rest of my life. (laughs) So For as long as I'll be doing this. There you go. What's the album called? The Long Daydream. Okay, and it's out now via all the usual channels. Uh, What's it like releasing an album during times of COVID? It's it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just something to embrace because that's where we're at. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've... You know, even though it's been a little while since I dropped a record, it feels like everyone is kind of stationary and probably in a good place to give music to. I feel like it's a pretty receptive time. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with that. Plus, I wanted to get my momentum back up uh, and uh, because I've been writing a lot and Mm -hmm. start releasing a lot. So really, it's a good chance to continue recording, make sure I follow it up really quick and everyone's in the same boat with the live thing we'll uh, we'll all do it when it mm-hmm. uh, kicks back in so i just think why why even bother worrying about that for the moment where i can just keep making music feels good mm-hmm. uh, just uh, it's an interesting time yeah it's great so we're not in perth anymore and mm-hmm. we're not in melbourne anymore we're up here in the goldfields how how long have you lived up here you're in you're in Kyneton. That's right. Not far from here. Maybe an hour from the outskirts of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's nice, you know. Just Mm -hmm. felt like maybe at some point in my life I'd drop anchor near some kind of 
natural phenomena, whether mm -hmm. it be an ocean or mm -hmm. out in the bush. And I kind of grow up on the outskirts of Perth, uh, near the forest, mm, and yeah, it feels it quite normal. So, and I've got my first uh, bit of space, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, a separate studio. I've never had that. So, workspace-wise, yeah. it's it's very cool. I've you know, and I call it a workspace rather than mm -hmm. a studio because it's just a creative space, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's got a fireplace and a view of some mm -hmm. bushland and farmland, and it's been really inspiring to work in. I just have to go in there, and something happens. It, whether I'm just reading a book or mm -hmm. writing or or recording something, so I like that, mm -hmm. you know. So it's just every time you change scene you wake up a little bit just to some new stage so it, i think it helps you get on mm. with some new new ideas so so far so good and yes. you know no 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 plans just just enjoy this right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so as much as it's great talking about your album and about kindton one of the main reasons you're here is because of the book club and it's one of one of my favorite books and I understand it's one of your favorite books as well. Charles Bukowski, Post Office. Yeah. I think I could talk about this book all night. How did this book come into your life? How did it? I don't know which I don't know which Bukowski book was first. I feel like I've read them all though. And I think like a lot of people, if you're in the mood for his language, you can really binge on it. Mm -hmm. Post Office is maybe seen as his classic but i reckon he's probably got a few classics because he he yeah. has i think because of his age when he kicked in mm -hmm. which was probably well into his 40s 49 49 there's hope for us all yet yeah and as I, young budding young novelists like myself <laughs> but as a result he had the, so he had the retrospective book you know which was kind of of his youth which was ham on rye and i think that's probably my favorite it's yeah. a great book but it's mm -hmm. so of a time like yeah. that real i mean when is that? The forties, fifties? I mean, it's uh, it, um, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think he was born nineteen thirty. I think yeah. half the appeal of Bukowski is this guy who was pretty down and out, mostly on himself, mm -hmm. you know, and just slugging it out mm -hmm. and cautious about jumping into an artistic life because mm -hmm. he was just kind of in a semi kind of squalor, maybe happy within that, but obviously. Uh, these semi-biographical books of his about just being in the mundane jobs with a lot of humour, mm -hmm. they just resonate, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think a lot of us like that his life story is entwined in his books because it does mm -hmm. give you a lot of hope just in terms of like breaking out of the mundane and the fact that he documents and celebrates that working in warehouses and factories mm. and whatever it is and all the crazy relationships that come with it it just makes you feel like well it's it's you can celebrate any part of your mm -hmm. life and i love that he i love that he took to it when he did because it, there's a great kind of wisdom about you know giving it all up for a greater purpose and of course he took pride in being something of not a low life but just kind of happily in that uh, world of, you know, what I think he would consider really uh, interesting part of society. People battling, people going a bit crazy, mm. um, and I think he always recognised the great stories amongst it. You know, so I mean, this post office is great because it's mm -hmm. this kind of, I don't know how much is fiction, but it feels rather real. Mm. And I love that at the end of it, 
you know, that last kind of line where he's like, you know, basically something along the lines of, I decided to write a book, mm, you know, and yeah. here it is, you're reading it, you yeah. know, and it's like, so it's kind of like the start of his life, you know, and yeah. so I love that celebration. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, you know, I've, I've probably read all these books, but when we talked about talking about this, I, I went back and reread it and it was yeah. easy to read over an evening. I mean, it just flies yeah. by and it's so easy to read. And I always laugh. You know, I, I, I think he's really <laughs> funny. I like his take on, you know, it's not just anti, uh, you know, he doesn't just laugh at authority, but it's also like, it's it's not just the boss. It's more like the people he works with, you mm-hmm. know, like it's anyone who's kind of like dares put on a persona that he doesn't, you know, think is true. He mocks mm-hmm. any, anyone he's talking down to him. He's not having it. Mm-hmm. And yet something about being a man of truth gets mm-hmm. him to he, get, he always wins a bit of respect mm-hmm. from the right people and sticks around so yeah. I think that that thing that thing about he's just even though he's deep in that world he was never having it you know he so he always I think he always knew there was light at the end of the tunnel yeah um, and perhaps subconsciously was always creating the stories that I think maybe he knew he would write so yeah. um, I, I know a lot of people would consider it kind of dated which it is because of the times uh, a lot of people think he's really sexist mm-hmm. um i feel that yeah. too it's totally true enough but i think it's also offset by the time it was in and also that he's pretty self-mocking in mm-hmm. the same paragraphs at the same time and there's a lot of self-refer like putting himself down mm-hmm. and pretty much kind of i think he had a mix of bravado and probably some low self-esteem as well mocked throughout his youth with chronic acne uh you know parents that didn't really give him love and Mm -hmm. i think he's just a ball of uh response (laughs) to to that life you know so um yeah but he accepts he he goes into the extreme in all his writing and for that you just can't knock it it's so entertaining Yeah, yeah and uh yeah, like I say, I reckon I've read them all, and yeah. I don't really feel a weak point. I think he's always chosen a yeah. situation that <clears throat> was worthy of documenting, whether it's the Hollywood era that he would have been quite old amongst. I love that. Yeah, book. yeah, because yeah. that okay. Well, that would have been when he was in his fifties and sixties. He started because this was his first book when he was forty-nine. Mm. Yeah, he was even older when he did that. Yeah, yeah. I just love how he celebrates, almost champions mediocrity. Yeah, you know, and we've all been there at some stage of our lives, and we could even say that we're we're still there in a way. We've always we've all done those jobs that and had those bosses and yeah, those hangovers and yeah. He's a funny kind of cynic, anyway. You know, like maybe because he was stuck in that life, he defends it with great vigor. But mm-hmm. it's as a result, he's like you know, he's just got that feeling of like there's nowhere better to be than the racetrack, mm. you know, or just sinking drinks you know yeah. uh and uh there's a great there's a great lust for life amongst all of it you yeah. know even if it's the worst day of work in your life there's um there's there's still a great energy to it i don't think he, he ever comes across as like lackluster or resigned yeah. you know his idea of resigned is more like just you know pile in the drinks and just yeah. roar you yeah, know yeah. so i i think i think everyone gets off on that because you know in life it's like it's easy to pull the rug over your head and just kind of say i'm out you know mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. his was more of a That's vocal true. you know scream and mm-hmm. he just seemed to react um in 
all the ways that uh, might be frowned upon, but of course are mm. really great to write about. And because it, and it's a big finger up to authority all the time. I think mm -hmm. we all enjoy that, um, and a celebration of characters that might be constantly overlooked, even mm. if they're the deadbeats at your workplace. They are also very interesting to write about because we all know someone like you know the guy that sucks up to the boss and deserves mm. a bit of mockery. You know. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think when we both connected over this book. You were working in a factory at the time, am I correct? Around the time of your first album? Mm. Well, I did a lot of that because I was always on, mm -hmm. I was in shipping containers for years. So I always went to different yeah. ones. And I'm, I, I did enjoy mm -hmm. the other books that followed up, like Factotum, mm. which is really from one workplace to a next. So I think, I think he gave a lot yeah. of value to the years, or needed to give a lot of value mm -hmm. to the years that he spent in what you would consider pretty mundane mm -hmm. uh, workplaces that were hard work mentally. Mm -hmm. And I think spending so long of your life, rather than saying, I'm a writer now and I wasted all that time, I think he just cherishes that he's got stories to tell mm -hmm. and that it resonates with, uh, you know, people who have been in working conditions mm. like that. He's been a huge inspiration because I've done a lot of jobs, mm. <laughs> a lot of fact home jobs. Never been a postman though, but you know, I, I applied. my time, my I've, I've applied as well. <laughs> I think we've all been doing. It's that not way. easy. It's not easy to get in. It's actually really hard. But I, I've always looked upon Bukowski as, um, as much as I love his writing and I love his book, books, a massive inspiration, and almost a pillar of strength that has got me through those times doing those jobs. Where you just sort of go, what would Hank do? Hank Janowski being the... the he wouldn't the take character. it. Yeah, and yeah, so I... Yeah, I feel that as well. I think it gives a lot of people uh, value in um, in the situation they find themselves in. Um, that's that's really strong. I mean, if that's in... If that's in your favourite songwriters mm -hmm. or novelists or however it comes, I think I think giving... Making people feel value for... Um, from, for the life that they've lived, which may have uh, comp been compromised a lot by just you know some of the you know things that society demands you do and mm -hmm. often that means finding cash you know when you're desperate or needing yeah. to live somewhere or being in situations which are accepted as normal which is pretty mm -hmm. much for a lot of us throughout our lives occasionally being in a situation where, you, where you're bullied by mm -hmm. someone that really shouldn't be so i think yeah. it gives a a lot of voice to mm -hmm. people who've been through those situations and mm -hmm. also um offers them hope that at the that at any corner you can kind of say no mm -hmm. you know so there's a, yeah. there's also that that thing where it's just like and that i had to quit and mm. that day i did and i i hit the racetrack i mean yeah. Yeah. it's good in a story i don't know how much is true or not the racetrack yeah. yeah but um i think i think it's a good reminder that there's always an option then that you probably won't die if you just say no to whatever yeah. is going on um yeah. even though we obviously all feel pressures to stick with certain things you know yeah. but uh I think he was the guy that just didn't bother to stick with anything, you know, and if it if it didn't have to be. Although he did stay in that post office for a long time. He did, yeah. I think he had a few stints there, didn't he? Mm. Have you ever delved into his poetry? Yeah, I have. Is there something like 20, 30? Oh, I'm probably wrong here, but there's, there's a, a lot of books, yeah. Yeah, and it's, but it's very upfront, so it's not, it doesn't stray too far mm -hmm. from his writing, in my opinion. It's, mm -hmm. it's still, it still sticks with a lot of themes that you're used to from him, and I think if you need an extra hit mm. of, um, of Bukowski language, then, 
then the poetry is really good. I mean, mm-hmm. and then of course he has his book Women, which yes. is like you know because we forget through being this person that we're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, the world even at the time reacted to that even on a cult mm-hmm. level, um, and you know, of course he was he was pretty popular for a while just because he held mm. such a niche as this guy who would travel the university niche, yeah. circuit doing yeah. just drinking and reading poetry, and of yeah. course. Um, that's the character from his books, but it was him in real life as well. Mm. And um, people people respond to that, you mm. know. I think um, I don't know. It's uh, it's very cool. He yeah, he almost became a bit of a rock star in mm. his sixties, and he always complained that it, it came to me too late, is what he used to say. And I think yeah. there's a bit of sadness in there as well that he wished he'd been like maybe a you know a Hemingway or a Kerouac and and you know released his best work when he was in his 20s yeah but it just never happened and that's what i find a big inspiration as well like we say his first book 49 you know? yeah but i think if you read a lot of his stuff then part of his life story that 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 whole rock star period for mm-hmm. him you're kind of going for him because mm-hmm. you know that his uh life story is very much reflected you know in through, yeah. in his book so you kind of i think you want a victory for hank you know, and I say yeah, Hank, yeah. not just from post office, but who seemed to travel through, through, mm-hmm. through all the books as Henry or or whoever, mm-hmm. whoever it was. Um, it's certainly almost always of a semi or mm-hmm. autobiographical nature, from what I can tell. Anyway, he was such a champion of the the underclass, the forgotten champion of the triers. Totally, he was a bit of a champion of the the loser in us as well wasn't he you know he never tried to be cool never tried to be anything that he wasn't he he always admitted that he was ugly he never tried to hide the fact that he had a massive drunk uh, drinking problem or that you know huge beer gut and yeah. never tried to hide the fact that he was a pretty awful father a pretty awful boyfriend yeah. partner yeah he never he never tried to be portray himself as something that he wasn't no but he dropped hints of his humanity to make sure that he was in a lost cause you know i remember like he he gets his partner pregnant mm-hmm. you know and she just moves away you know but it, you know it just drops in a line like i knew as long as you know because they were moving out and mm-hmm. he you know and he had to oh no he had to find a new place to live and he mm-hmm. just had a baby and he just said something like i just knew as long as my child was close mm-hmm. i'd be okay mm-hmm. you know and it was just like just a little telling thing amongst all the craziness where mm-hmm. he just showed a side of him where it's just like you know i got to keep it together still mm-hmm. and i you know and i do it in these ways you know mm-hmm. um, but yeah he was always like talking about his ugliness and mm-hmm. you know even in sexual encounters it mm-hmm. just kind of painted himself as like kind of disgusting sometimes you mm. know and he just kind of talked it like he thought it you know and mm. I, um, I never really cared about success either or if he did it definitely ne- never came across yeah I think he would have been pretty wild in his time to you know mm-hmm. I, you know he seems to I wouldn't call him a cynic but he's quick to kind of go oh, that's all shit or whatever but I think there's enough humor in the guy that I've I never take him too seriously. I think he's probably naturally defensive character from a lifetime of probably just being put down. You know, mm-hmm. um, I get that anyway from his childhood and from you know from his adult life before being a writer. You know, which was in Ham and Rye, yeah, pretty pretty grim childhood. He yeah. didn't have a good relationship at all with his parents. I just don't think he left himself open for 
criticism and he did that by just being over the top and extremely you know mm-hmm. proud of whatever he was doing mm-hmm. yeah it's an incredible body of work for me it was it was great I probably going to maybe when i was about 18 19 and it was probably the first uh novels that i i got into myself you know that hadn't been given to me by school or by by uni you know i think i probably went from lord of the rings to this uh, my friend Susan, a uh, very good friend of you as well, that um, got me onto this. There's the train. Um, Tank and, going to the track. <laughs> and through that, you know, it just opened up a whole new world for me. Like uh, Hemingway, Kerouac, Fitzgerald. And I, I sure. you know, put it a lot got, of that down too. Yeah, it moved me onto a lot of people too. Um, uh, who was that writer that he championed a lot? Um, uh, Fantu. That's right. Yeah, did you Never, read... Uh, was it Dustin... I can't remember the, the title. I can't either catch yeah. the dust. No, I... I, I yeah. Yes, but I did read that. And uh, I... Yeah, I, I think also just uh, drew me to a lot of stories from that era. Mm. The uh, the kind of pre-60s era as well. Yeah. Just, just that... Uh, after a bit of Bukowski, I really enjoyed just getting lost mm-hmm. in America. You know, in mm. film and in uh, yeah, in in books as well. Yeah, um, be, and it gave America the non-Hollywood treatment, which mm-hmm. was um, you know, a land of a gazillion corners you could get lost in. You mm-hmm. know, that people, that Western society was just going about its business. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I feel like, especially at a young age, Bukowski was like a great adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how important are books to you now? And how important are they to your to your art? Uh, well, I never, I don't think I've ever stopped reading. Um, I read quick, I, you know, I, I mean, and I go through phases with different people. Uh, I binge on, you know, certain kind of realms of writing, even if it's like, you know, if, if, over the last year I've been into really a lot of kind of more very aged, ancient, uh, even spiritual stuff, you know, right. just t- taking it right back. Um I mean, writing, I think just, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a mental holiday. Mm-hmm. I think I just like the adventure of even just being transported to a well-described um, place or atmosphere that I've never been. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, it feels really healthy for my, for my brain. I guess um, I'm always working on my own imagery uh, for songs, but... Uh, yeah, it's just that. I like being transported, you mm-hmm. know. I'm trying to think of some of the books I've read in recent times. I read The Alchemist the other week. Yes. I've read that. I realized yeah. I'd read it before, but, you yeah. know, I just often just choose things that are that are sticking off the uh, off the bookshelf. Um, but, yeah, he was a big one at that age. It, it mm-hmm. changed a lot. Mm-hmm. It's been so good to talk to you about this book, one of your favorite books and mine, Charles Bukowski, Post Office. We can't go and hit the bar. But we can go and hit my fridge. (laughs) And we can't go and hit the racetrack either because they're all closed at the moment. Well, Hank would have hit the fridge hard before the others anyway. During and after, yeah. Uh, But thank you so much. Your your album? The Long Day Dream. It's out now. So wherever you're listening to music, that's out. Yeah, Um, yeah, please go and have a listen. And I'll keep tuning into your show. Quiet Courage is awesome. And I love having such great creative... uh, uh, environment out here in the gold fields in Victoria. I didn't realize when I moved out here that uh, there was many people mm. doing what I'm doing, which is finding a place 
amongst beauty to mm. get some work done and they are in many a crevice out here mm -hmm. uh, in the Victorian countryside and uh, you're doing a good job of documenting a lot of it so enjoy and keep doing what you're doing. Passiona Passiona 
strange All is strange That was Passiona by Jay Laffer from his new album, The Long Daydream. He was my guest on the TQC Book Club discussing one of his favourite books, Post Office by Charles Bukowski. A big thanks to him and also a big thanks to the Wheeler Centre for allowing me to play their interview with Neil Gaiman. And you can visit their website, thewheelercentre.com, to hear the rest of that interview. Next week... Penguin Manuscript winner Imbi Neem will be discussing her debut novel The Spill with us and I'll also be checking in with Clunes Booktown. Uh, they'll be discussing with us a new initiative they've got in relation to book clubs. I'm on Fridays at 1pm on 94.9 Main FM and all episodes are available on Spotify. I'm across all the socials and you can visit my website at pauljlaverty.com for more information. Until next week, keep reading. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Moving can be stressful, but at Stressless Moves, we move your belongings like they're our own and can professionally pack and unpack your cartons. Stressless Moves offers door-to-door service locally or interstate. We do a weekly run to Melbourne with single items or a whole truckload. Leave the stress of moving to us. Call Jessica or Donna on 0427 046 001 for an obligation-free quote on your next move. Stresslessmoves.com.au, a proud sponsor of Main FM. Castlemaine Community House is working with many groups across the Shire to address well-being, mental health and the increased risk of family violence during these challenging times. We are working to deliver courses and workshops remotely and would love to hear from you about other programs or support we can offer. Visit cch.org.au or call 5472 4842 for information or to share ideas. Stay connected with Castlemaine Community House, Main FM sponsor. Mount Alexander Community Enterprise is Bendigo Bank's local partner. Together they provide financial assistance to local clubs and groups to support community projects. Locals helping locals. By choosing Bendigo Bank or Bendigo Telco and tagging your account as a community enterprise supporter, you can help continue their great work. The cost to you is $0, but the benefit to the community? Priceless. Make sure you check them out at communitygrants.com.au or ask today to link your accounts. Mount Ace, Main FM sponsor.